we, we read Parshat Noach, and in Parshat Noach, Rashi divides up Parshat Noach into two different sugyot, into the sugyot Ben Adam Lechavero, between man and his fellow man, and uh, the subject of Ben Adam Lemakom, between man and God. The Mabul is Ben Adam Lechavero, and Migdal Bavel is Ben Adam Lemakom, is between man and God. And he says, he asks, which is worse of the two? The worse of the two must be between man and man because the world was destroyed because of the Mabul, because of Noah's time, and it wasn't destroyed during the Tower of Babel. But I have a slightly different suggestion to make, which I just want to build upon. If I was coming out of the Noah's Ark and I saw the devastation that Noah saw, and I was, had the Western mentality of today, I would immediately want to address the problem that, that caused the flood. And that would be a civilization problem, which it looks like Noah dealt with. It looked like he tried to do with it. And uh, the chapter 11 of Bereshit starts off, everyone spoke the same, everyone did the same. It's almost utopia, it's what we talk about all the time. Everyone has the same language, everyone does the same thing. It's not clear what the Avera was in Migdal Bavel. It's not clear at all. We just know what the punishment is. And, and the punishment is meant to fit the crime. So if we learn the punishment, perhaps we can understand what the crime was. So we know that what God did to the people of Babel, what he did to the people who built the Tower of Babel, was that he dispersed them. He spread them out. But there is a, a certain difficulty when you try and reconcile the first Pasuk with a comment that Rashi makes a bit further on, and I think that's the key. The first Pasuk says that everyone had the same language, everyone wore the same clothes, everyone did the same thing. And then Rashi explains when the Pasuk says that God changed their languages. So you have a look at Rashi there. Rashi says one person said, I'll use our language because I, I don't know exactly how to translate the tools that Rashi is referring to, but a person says, pass me the hammer, and he passes him a scalpel instead. And then Rashi says he broke his skull. Now imagine you're sitting at a table and someone's passed the pepper and you pass the mustard and they break your head open. That's what Rashi says. Now how do you reconcile that with the first pasuk in the, in the parent that says everyone was united? So what I want to suggest based on that Rashi is that people thought they were united because they did the same things and said the same things. And God wanted to prove to them that they weren't. So he changed the language. He gave them a difficulty. And the minute there wasn't overt external communication, the whole thing was, was exposed. They weren't together. Nothing had changed since the time of uh, the Mabul. Nothing had changed at all. All they had done was very superficial. They had created a language. They had created a clothes. Kind of a Zamenhof idea. Of, of having a, the same language and everyone speaking the same language and then we're together, if we speak the same language, we're together. But God exposed them, he changed, he gave them a problem through a spanner in the works and they just went back to the way they were. So God disperses them and I think the lesson at the end of, of that parsha is you can live far from each other and be more together than sometimes when you live together and you think you are together. That sometimes when you have very good friends or family and they live a long way away, you're much closer than people who live next door. And the lesson here is to be able to discern between uniformity and unity.
Uniformity is not unity. Uniformity is everyone doing the same thing, but it doesn't go very deep. Unity is people doing different things, but for the same cause. And on this issue, I would want to refer you to, I think I put it in the right order. I didn't put it in the, I didn't put it in the right order. Let me, let me show you. Yes, I did, sorry, it's on this page. The Emmet Yaakov, uh, Rav Yaakov Kamenetsky, he, he asked a question at the beginning of Sefer Bamidbar. And the question that he asks is, at the beginning of Sefer Bamidbar, we have chapter after chapter discussing the dividing up of, of, of Shvatim, of tribes, and then three tribes into four camps. So the Emmet Yaakov asks a, a question. He says, well, if this was so important, why didn't we do this when we came out of Egypt? Now, we know that there's a Midrash that says during the splitting of the sea we were divided into 12 lines, but, but it's not written in the Pesukim. When we came out of Egypt, we came as a mass. When we walked into the sea, we walked as a mass. When we arrived at Sinai, we arrived as a mass of people. It was just a mass of people. And then a year later, God decides to divide us up. So Rav Yaakov Kamenetsky asked a question. It's a good question, I think. He says, well, if it's so important, why don't we leave Egypt that way? And if it's not important, why do we do it now? What's the difference between then and now? And the message that he gives, which I think is, is so important, just adding to the theme I just began with, the message that he gives is that diversity is good. It's good in a people as long as there's a common denominator in the middle. When the people came out of Egypt, they had nothing in common except a common enemy. They, they didn't have a common goal to fight for. And therefore they came out as a mass. God didn't want to diversify them. He didn't want to divide them up into different groups because they would beat each other's necks. What's the difference a year later is that we have a Mishkan in the middle of the camp. So everyone is looking at the Mishkan. Everyone has that common, <coughs> common goal. And as soon as everyone has a common goal in the middle, then we can diversify and everyone can express themselves in the, in the way they... Self-expression is very important that each person does what they can do. Not that each person does exactly the same thing. If we all did exactly the same thing, it would have worked. When we lived on kibbutz, each person was put in the area that they were best able to, to work with. So people in charge of chinuch did chinuch. People who were in charge of fixing clothes, fixed clothes. People who were in the cow shed were in the cow shed. Everyone was specialized in their area. We had a common goal, which was the kibbutz community. And we worked together. The diversity only, only helped us uh, excel in what we were trying to do as a common goal. So the Emmet Yaakov, what he says here, taking on, really, the idea that we begin with, with Noah is that diversification is very, very good as long as we have this common goal in the middle. I was driving in this morning, I was already trying to um, think of this theme, and I remembered a comment, there was a Rebbe in, well, he was in the Warsaw Ghetto, but he, he's, to his honor, his, to his zechut, he should be mentioned not just because of the Warsaw Ghetto, Rabbi Kalonimus Kalman Shapiro was the Piazesna Rebbe, Piazesna is about 30 kilometers from Warsaw, and he was in Warsaw, he had, a, he had a yeshiva in Warsaw, and he was in the Warsaw Ghetto. He, was, he lived right through the period of the Warsaw Ghetto, he lived through the uprising of the Warsaw Ghetto, and was eventually transported, I think probably to Lublin, to a labor camp in Lublin called Trauniki. He was either killed in Trauniki or he was killed in Majdanek, one of, one of the two, 
about three weeks ago. Uh, it's the beginning of Cheshvan, about three weeks ago. And Pietzesna Rebbe wrote books on education before the war. Chovat HaTalmidim and Hachshavat Avrechim. During the war, he, he used to give a drasha on a weekly basis, which he was then buried with the archives of Onek Shabbat and was found in 1956, bless you. It was found in 1956 and it was renamed, that wasn't the original name, wasn't Eish Kodesh, but it was renamed Eish Kodesh, and that's the Shul in Woodmore, it's named after the Piazesna Rebbe, Eish Kodesh, Rabbi Weinberger's Shul, we're a big fan of Rabbi Weinberger, and uh, I listen to him at least twice a day. And uh, on the way to work, on the way back. I can't get as much done because there's less traffic at the moment. But, uh, but, um, so the Eish Kodesh is his claim to fame. Everyone knows about the Eish Kodesh because, it, because it, if you read it in the context of what was happening in the ghetto, it's, it's, it's pashut, incredible. And uh, he was an incredible, incredible man. And the Chaye Sara piece that he wrote, I'm going to do in Shir Klali today, it's the most incredible piece he wrote, Chaye Sara which he hadn't spoken since his uh, daughter and his daughter-in-law and son had been murdered in the Blitzkrieg. The first year is outside the ghetto, right? Because the ghetto doesn't open till November 1940. doesn't close till November 1940. And the Pierce says the Rebbe wrote a third book. This is before the war. The first book is about little kids, how to educate pupils. The next is Hachsharat Avrechim. And the third, which is by far, by far the finest book I think he wrote, is called Bnei Machshavah Tova. It's a tiny book. It's a little choveret. And what he was trying to create, which goes on now in Israel, is chaburas, group of people, adults, right? If the first is like younger people and the second group is a group of um, kolelnikim, this is, this is balabatim, to do chaburas, to sit together every week and to talk about their, their religion, their service of God. And at the beginning of the book, he said not to print the book, by the way. He said he doesn't want the, pro- the book reproduced. In the introduction to the reproduction, it says that it was, they were bootlegging the book, that people had started copying the book and, and not doing it properly. So they asked one of the rebbies who was connected to Piet Cessna if they had permission to... He was dead already, so if they had permission to print the book. And they said yes, so they printed the book. So if you ever read the book, it says, the third thing you see is this isn't allowed to be printed, and then it's printed, and you say, well... He has rules about these chaburas. He has rules. If you want to join this group, there's a group of rules of how to join the group. Uh, right at the beginning of the book. So listen to Otbet. In Otbet it says, anu matnim We have a condition. That our group should not become elite, elitist. The point of our group is the love of Israel, the love of friends, in the strongest way possible. Mashal, and he gives the mashal, that's what I remembered in the car this morning. If there's a sreifa be'ir, if there's a fire in the city, and the firemen come to put out the fire, to extinguish the fire, and they come with their fire hoses, you know, the tools that they have to put out the fire. 
האם בשביל זה ישנאו ויתרחקו משאר בני העיר שגם כן מצילים ומחבים כל אחד כפי יכולתו? You've ever seen old films of people putting out fires in the shtet or people came with sand, they came with whatever they have to put out the fire. So the farmer's there with his hose and someone comes with a bucket of sand. What, the farmer's going to make fun of the person with a bucket of sand? We don't need you. Of course you need the fire spreading. You need the people with the sand, you need the people with the hoses, you need the people who are smothering with the clothes. Anyone who can do anything whatsoever is needed to take part. It doesn't make any sense, says the, says the Rebbe, whatsoever. We all have that common goal that the Emmet Yaakov is talking about. It doesn't make any sense that people would exclude other people and say what you're doing isn't important, what you're doing isn't, we're doing the most simple. It doesn't make sense. We're all doing the same thing and everyone is, is playing his part in this, particular, in this particular mission. This resonates me, with me a lot. When, I, uh, when, I, uh, when this first broke out, on Simchat Torah. My emotion. So this was hell. You're, you're on the 50th anniversary of Yom Kippur, English date. You're saying goodbye to your children in uniform. And I didn't know, because I, there was no reason for me to have my phone open. Both my sons had their phones open because they were waiting for orders. And anything I needed to know, I would be told. There was no halachic justification for me to have a phone on. I did swipe Yehuda's phone because he was in shul, Adam Batikin. So he was in shul and I just, I, I saw something flash and I didn't know whether someone was calling him. So I did kind of swipe. <coughs> but the, the question, the dilemma that hits you all the time is what am I doing? And what is my contribution? I have to tell you something. My family knows, Jeremy doesn't know. I found the army every two days. I phone them every two days and ask them to draft me. I said, I'll clean the floors. Every two days I phone them. And every two days they say, we'll call you. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't got much to offer. <laughs> he's got more to offer than me. He's a, he's a Hobesh. Um, and they say, yeah, we'll put you on the list. And it's lucky I don't get the same person. What, you again? You know, again? Yeah, we know your number. I give them my number, my army number, which is so old, I'd be surprised if it's uh, recorded anywhere. I haven't got much to offer, really. But it's that feeling of what, what can you do? What is it? I'm coming with, with sand, right? My sons, Yudas in the north, Yitzhak is deep down, somewhere in Gaza, over a week now. And... Um, About a week into the war, Yitzhak was in a base and he contacted me and he said, Abba, will you come and talk to my unit? So, well, yes, yeah, sure. He said, but one thing, Abba, you have to put on uniform. So, I'm on my way. <laughs> now, I'm sitting opposite these boys and we knew where they were going because 
Miloimnikim, they've been in the army, they, they were a commanding unit in Miloim, clear where they're going. They trained for a long time. And I had to speak to these boys and I said, you know, I started with the Pasuk in before Musaf, Hinani Animi Maas. And the Chazan says before he davens, I am poor with action. I'm going to talk to you. What am I going to say to you? What am I doing? I'm in Jerusalem. Bushet Sion. Bushet Sion is one of the safest places in Israel at the moment, actually. But, but I, the INRI is just a very safe place at the moment because they, they don't really aim for us. More likely to hit Arabs if they hit us. And I, I don't know. Leonara is pretty safe. And I said to the soldiers, you know, I, I'm talking to you. You know, you're inspiring me. I'm not inspiring. I'm not doing anything. Really? I'm not doing anything. And what, what I've, I've tried to do with myself when not making this a, a personal issue is understand that, that what the peer sister says is that so we're coming, coming with my sand to extinguish the fire, and we have the army with their hoses, and everyone has to do something. And I think this, this idea was, was born out of that. We notice one other factor that I just want to add on here. There is a piece in Rebbe Nachman, everything's in Bereshit, and it's in Chelek Beit, and the piece is called Echad Haya Abraham. Abraham was one. And Rabbi Nachman reads like this. Abraham evit Hashem echad. He was one. He was a servant of God because he was one. He thought that he's the only one in the world. He didn't pay attention to the peoples of the world. Who were deviating from the ways of God and they were trying to stop him. Abraham Avinu was called Abraham Ha'ivri. He's a Hebrew because he lived on one side and everyone was on the other side. He had one view and people didn't agree with his view. And he carried on. Imagine the pressure. He didn't have a state, he didn't have an army. He didn't have any support from anyone and he stood and held his view. Abraham Haivri has always been that way and it's still that way. We have to listen to this garbage. I mean, I think 90% of the people say free Palestine, even where it is on a map. They don't know about the partition plan. They don't know that they were terrorizing us before 1967. They don't know that Gaza is independent. It's not even occupied. And they still attack. So that's what they do when we give them land. They take it over, they kill their own people, and then they kill other people. They don't even know the people who are, who are demonstrating. They don't even know that when the Hamas came through the gates, civilians came through with them. The civilians raped. They're not Khafim Pesha. They're not innocent. They walked through the gates as a man with a stick. An old man with a stick walked into the Yeshuv. He's a Hamasnik. He's a regular innocent person. Every person, I can't say every person. And I'm pretty sure that half the population of Gaza would have done exactly the same. They, civilians were walking through. They don't know that. And if they do not, the Queen of Jordan hasn't seen the pictures. I'm happy to invite her here to show her the pictures. We've already got Holocaust denial within four weeks of it happening. Within four, it didn't happen. It didn't happen. So we stand like Abraham. We stand on our own. And we all stand. 
on our own. I asked a question this morning to some of my students. I said, uh, what, what's the word about going to college in America next year? And what are people saying? Uh, people want to stay in NYU. They want to go to Cornell. They want to go to Harvard. I mean, I, I'm out of interest. Or is Stern going to make a huge profit here because, because no, one, no one wants to go anywhere else? I mean, what's going to happen? What's going to happen in Cambridge? What's going to happen in, in these colleges where regular Jewish students aren't allowed to just do what they want to do? And you know, because you've been there, and I've seen the films of it, that when our people do demonstrations in Chutzah, they wave an Israeli flag, and they sing, maybe Hatikva. And when they go on their demonstrations, they burn flags, they turn cars over, they try and get into the White House. This happened before. This happened in 1930, when Lloyd George called Hitler the Messiah. When Time magazine named Hitler Man of the Year in 1938, it happened before. They came for us and 50 million people died. 50 million people died because they thought it's just the Jews. These people need to be reckoned with. I think Mr. Biden understands. I think most world leaders understand the problem that we're facing is that the populations of the world don't seem to understand. So we stand alone. Echad haya Avraham, we stand alone. If we stand alone, so we only have one land, Eli Eretz Acheret, we only have one land. And we only have one people. We only have each other. That's what we have. I can't begin to describe the atmosphere in this country, Monsei Yom Kippur. Devastating. I don't even know what actually happened because everyone's got an agenda. I don't know what happened. And there was a lot of build-up to Simchat Torah. What's going to happen at Hakafas if they try to put up a mechisa in Tel Aviv? They don't put up a mechisa. And you're left asking yourself your question, like, well, where is my people? And where are they? And we have seen, over the last few weeks, the most incredible nation. I can ask my son how much food is being brought from everywhere. Food, clothes, uh, people just traveling south and opening up uh, barbecues for, for the people of the south, for, for the soldiers who are there. Once we understand the Echadaya Abraham, and if we don't understand it, they remind us. Every so often they need to remind us, you're on your own. Abraham was on his own and Abraham managed to build the Jewish people. He was a minority. He managed to build the Jewish people. And things haven't changed since then. So if you're from England, you might recognize this. But my mother used to sing this a lot in the car. When we used to drive, my mother used to sing. We used to fight. It's <laughs> my sister. We used to fight. Um, she was by far the uh, oppressor. I was the uh, <laughs> I was the one that needed liberation, and uh, my little one just the little one wasn't even in the game. But uh, the uh, so my mum used to sing this song, and the song is is uh, is, is is very poignant. It, it's and it says it's an English song, right? When you walk through a storm, hold your head up high, and don't be afraid of the dark. At the end of a storm. There's a golden sky, 
and the sweet silver song of a lark. Walk on through the wind, walk on through the rain, though your dreams be tossed and blown. Walk on, walk on with hope in your heart, and you'll never walk alone. So we don't walk alone. We walk together. We walk with our values. I heard a French journalist about 15 years ago. He wrote a piece in Le Mans. It was after one of these demonstrations in, in France, which is 40, 40% Muslim. And he said he wished they hadn't sold out the Jews because the Jews would never have burnt the French flag. They would have been citizens of France. They would have been loyal to France. You would never see a Jew burn the French flag. You would never see a Jew burn the American flag. You'd never see a Jew burn the English flag. We always honored our host countries. We, we always had kavod. We walk with values. We walk with truth. You know, every time I hear another story, it just makes me feel stronger. It's so absurd, it's so ridiculous to hear Nasrallah on Friday afternoon saying our soldiers killed the people in the villages by accident. Uh, there's film, there's footage. Like, how can you, like, have you got any element of truth in your being? And you hear this, and when you know what happened, I'm t I've seen what happened. Uh, I saw the bodies, Edie saw the bodies. We, we've been there, we, we, we saw them. We were working in Tahara for the first two weeks. We saw things I never thought I'd see in my life. We've seen it. And the man just comes out. He was preparing this for two weeks. I was set to prepare. I was set to prepare. If you're just going to lie, what, you're just writing a story? We shot our own people. Maybe you do that. We don't do that. And they shot Arabs. They shot Arabs. There's one being shot on, on film. Arab bus drivers, Arab security people. Druzim are in captivity. So we walk with values and we walk with truth. And we walk with God. And that is, I think, what makes this, uh, gives me core. And, and the purpose of, of what we're doing or what we want to try and do over the next few days is that everyone's coming and doing what they can do. So most people in the room, well, not most, but half of the people in the room uh, are my age or a bit younger, a bit older. Unlikely you're going to be called up. Unlikely if we were called up that we could do an enormous amount. So we will do what we can do. And now we're fighting everywhere. We're fighting on campus. We're fighting in the streets. And uh, it won't get better. It will get worse before it gets better. And we're fighting in Gaza. And we do have friends. But, but whenever we get a hug from uh, another country, we don't know what the price of that hug is. And we don't know how long that hug's going to take place. I did tell our students that whenever you hear the United Nations asking for a ceasefire, you know that we're winning. Because they never ask for a ceasefire when we're losing. Never. Never. And uh, the fact that we have uh, Mr. Biden on our side, we have, but we have European leaders on our side as well at the moment, is fine, it's good. But every one of us is coming to put out a fire, and we all come with what we can come. So after getting through the first wave of uh, the first week, the first two weeks of this uh, of this war, where more or less the girls who, who needed to leave left. It was a very unstable time in the school because we, we have 
about 95 girls in the school here now, a lot have started coming back. But at the beginning, the people who were leaving made much more of an influence on the people who weren't because everyone was talking about it. And once the people who needed to go went, for whatever reason they went, uh, we were able to we were able to settle in the school and we've done some incredible things. Last week we we picked grapefruit. Tomorrow they're going to work on strawberry bushes without strawberries. There's no the strawberries aren't there yet. They're going to we've done we ran a gun in the midrashah for little kids whose parents the the gun weren't open because they didn't have shelters. We have a shelter, so so we we've done that part. We've we've also been able. You know, someone stopped me in the street a number of weeks ago and said, you know, I just think your girls are incredible. And I said, why? He said, because they're here. Because they're here. And it's, uh, and it's an incredible thing. Uh, they just stayed. I told the girls that uh, they'll never forget this. This will, this will, this will be a, an inherent part of, of, of who they are for the rest of their lives. It, it doesn't matter. They, it, it's hard, difficult. Uh, but they, they've been through it, and, and, and it's a growing, it's a growing experience. And then I, we were talking together, myself and Jeremy, and said, "Well, we finished with the girls going home. It's time to bring people back." So the girls who are there, they'll come. They're coming slowly, but surely they're coming back. But then we had this idea of a mission. We said, "No, it's, it's settled now. So let's invite people to come here." And we will be able, everyone comes, as I say, we're, we're not really coming with hoses, we're not going to, but there are two matarot here, there are two objectives. Number one, I remember when we, we have cousins who, who've been killed, quite a few. We had a cousin who was killed last week, already the fourth member in his family who was killed. Um, his father, his <coughs> uncle was killed at the beginning, he was killed this week. We have another cousin who was killed in the uh, terrorist attack at Merkazarav, if you remember, the eight yeshiva yes. boys. So I was in the shiva house of this young man, Yonadab, Hershud, Hashemikom Damor, and a group walked into the house, to the shiva house from Woodmere with Rabbi Billet at the time. This was a long time ago. And I remember the people being blown away by the fact Rabbi Billet had arranged, I think he'd arranged it, he'd arranged a group of rabbis from that area to come and visit the eight shiva houses. And uh, I could see the reaction of people. People couldn't believe that a group had come from America just to visit a shiva house. And so part of, part of this mission is that they see and hear, that they see that people have come because everyone's caught in their own issues, right? Our issue here is the war, and uh, the issues you have over there is anti-Semitism. It's only anti-Semitism, it's got nothing to do with Zionism. It's just anti-Semitism with a different name. Rabbi Sachs said that years ago. It's just anti-Semitism. I mean, South Africa, the place, it's always been that way. It's always been that way. Even Mandela was a friend of Arafat. For all the wonderful things you can say about Mandela, he had a bad choice of friends. Uh, but in England we've seen it, in America you see it. So everyone's kind of caught in their problems and I think it's very inspiring. It's inspiring for me, number one, that we got this number of people to come. This number of people to come here and to, and to leave and come. It's not so easy. What you see on the news isn't necessarily what's going on here. You see it's like very quiet here in Baruch Hashem, Yom Yom. So the first thing is, is 
everyone comes with a, and, and what you're doing is incredible that you're coming here and it's an inspiration to people to see you, to hear English, some will take you to places and they'll hear you speaking in English. There are quite a number of groups coming now, which, which is wonderful. And the second purpose is for you, is, is to see, to see with your own eyes, to be able to see certain things. Uh, some of the things we'll see are hard. Uh, we're not going to the worst places because the worst places are still closed. Public, uh, the public can't go there. We'll, get, we'll be going south, pretty deep south. And we might hear some sirens, but we're going even to some kibbutzim that, that, were, that were attacked. But, but not the main kibbutzim that were attacked. You can't really go there. And they're still a bit dangerous there. Uh, and the point is for you to be able to see with your own eyes, without the CNN, without Fox News, without BBC, even without Israeli press, just to see it with your own eyes and, and to see the Ruach of Am Yisrael. Um, that perhaps you, you, you've not seen it in, in such a positive way. It's very defensive in Chutz Laaretz, and here we, we don't, really don't care. You know, we just don't care. We've got much more important things to do, like survive. And so we really don't care what, what Arab students say on the tube in, in, in London. It doesn't, you know, we hear it and we hear our politicians trying to argue with their terrible English. Um, but, but to see, to be able to see what there is here. So. This is exactly what the Pete Cessna was saying, it is to come with whatever you can come to extinguish the fire. And everyone plays their part. There are people on the front line and their part is overt and it's obvious. And there are people who aren't on the front line and their part isn't so overt. Uh, but it's, without it, you need every part. You need every single part. I tell girls sometimes you open up the back of your phone and you take out a little disc. It won't work. It's just a tiny piece in the, in the phone. You take it out, it won't work. Every single piece makes up the phone, it makes it work, and every one of us has a role to play. It's harder to justify your role when it's not so obvious. But nonetheless, it's, it's, it's a role and a role to play. And the other is for you to be able to see, to benefit from Am Yisrael Tava, instead of just hearing the bad things about Am Yisrael and the argumentation and all the strife, to see how Am Yisrael can perform when their back is against the wall. And, and to be inspired and go back and be able to tell people that, that this is Am Yisrael and there's a strength to Am Yisrael and however bad it may sound and however bad it may look, we, we move on. And just like the Emet Liyakov says, we have one goal. The goal is our state, the goal is our country. I've seen films which I'm sure you've seen which I never believed I'd see in my life. Of a chassid and a chassidish wedding waving an Israeli flag. Last night I got sent a film of Schmelzer, what's his name? Lipa Schmelzer with a cake with the Israeli flag on it, dedicating it to a network. Well, Lipa isn't so anti-Zionist anyway. Lipa's a pretty, his daughter came to the Midrash after all, but, but, uh, but, but I never in my life thought I would see things like this. And it's an inspiration. It gives you the koach to carry on. And so, welcome. I, I won't be with you today, Jeremy will be with you today, I, I'm teaching all afternoon so I, can, I couldn't cancel all my classes. So, uh, so welcome, thank you for coming and um, please God, it will be a fruitful and uh, important, it's already an important visit. The minute you got off the plane, it was an important visit. The fact that you're here makes it important from Australia, from America, from London, from Africa, I always call South Africa Africa. Um, anywhere else? I think I've got everyone. Is Canada here? We'll call it North America, then we cover everyone. Okay, so thank you very much, and uh, yeah.